Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, frankly, the sooner we get this episode in the can, the better. Um, as you know, I started suffering some back spasms last weekend and uh, they're mostly under control. You'll be pleased to know, um, but they're not completely so. And as a result, I have like a week's worth of muscle relaxants coursing through my system. And if it's, as if that weren't enough, I also developed a cough a few days ago. So now the muscle <laughs> relaxants are working in tandem with some cough medicine. So oh, uh, I will consider it a major triumph if I'm still awake at the end of this, um, to which all our listeners go, tell us about it. Um, <laughs> and if I can make it to the end without yelling, Stella, Stella, I'll be especially pleased. <laughs> the Seinfeld reference for you there. No, a Seinfeld because isn't that a reference to an old uh, Brando movie? But it's a yes. Seinfeld reference to the Brando it's, movie. Exactly. Elaine gets like hopped up on muscle relaxants. Right, right. And then she's at some party and somebody happens to be called Stella and well. Yes. I believe I believe that's a very early episode, like second season perhaps, if I'm Could remembering be. correctly. But uh uh, you, you know what my response to, to what's going on uh, w- with you is, uh, Kieran, with, with your back and all? I, I'm giving your back the Adrian Broner salute. You know what that is? <laughs> if you were watching on Saturday night, you know what it is. The Adrian Broner salute is the double middle finger, and that's what I'm doing right now. You can't see it because uh, we're on audio only over Skype, but, but that's what I'm, I'm doing right now, giving your back. Your nasty acting <laughs> up you. back, the double finger, Adrian Broner salute, because that's that's what mature people like me and AB do. Amazing. Funny, you, you put a camera on him at ringside and uh, Broner, just can't help himself. Can right, he? he can't he can't help himself, but at least uh, he finally let his hands go. You can say that for him. <laughs> Hey-oh, rim shot. Nice. Uh, one last note on AB, and, th- and then I'll leave him alone. Did you notice all the gray in his beard? Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a bit of it there. He's catching up to the two of us. But he, see- he seems a little young for that. Someone needs to sit him down and show him those Keith Hernandez, Walt Frazier commercials. <laughs> um, and-, and by the way, I know I tend to pile it on when it comes to Broner, but you know what? You pick a fight with our friend Al Bernstein, and you get no mercy from Damn Raskin right. and Mulvaney. Damn right. Exactly. Um, we have uh, quite a lot to get to this week on the podcast. Of course, it has to be, you know, the week where I'll be happy to make it awake through the next 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> a podcast is probably going to be an hour or so, but we've got lots to talk about. Uh, we've got a guest, finally. I know I said I was going to stop promising guests, but we've got one. Um, uh, after being stuck with only Raskin and Mulvaney for the last few weeks this week, we will make it at least for a while. Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. And Ellerby, as Mayweather Promotions CEO Leonard Ellerby will join us to talk about the November 1st Showbox show that he is promoting and more. Uh, we will also preview that Showbox card in detail. We will preview the Canelo Alvarez Sergey Kovalev light heavyweight clash that some of you may have heard about. And we'll cover all the latest news, including some newly signed fights on Showtime that we're excited about. Um, but. Let's start with this past weekend's fight, shall we? And uh, we begin with a triple header on the old home network. Um, in the main event on Saturday night in Reading, Pennsylvania, Erickson Lubin outpointed Nathaniel Gallimore over 10 rounds by unanimous scores of 99 to 91, which, let's not bury the lead here, earns me three points <laughs> compared to only one for Eric in our picks competition. If you thought I had you where I wanted you before... <laughs> Boy, do I now. Um, It also, arguably more significantly, represents the fourth straight win for Lubin on his comeback from the loss to Jamel Charlo. You know, and as we said, 
when previewing this fight last week, you know, Gallimore was the toughest test for Lubin of those four opponents. But despite that, truth be told, I don't think the scores flattered Lubin at all. Um, he'd rehydrated by 15 pounds overnight following the weigh-in instead of the agreed 10. And he looked healthy and strong and big for doing that. Uh, even though he's a bit lighter in the pocket as a result. Um, he looked the bigger guy in there. He looked fresher. He looked stronger. But more importantly, he was the guy who was landing the clean, strong punches. And he did actually have Gallimore in trouble enough times that I did begin to see you possibly <laughs> increasing your lead uh, a couple of times there. And I was uh, hoping that Gallimore would hang in there. All in all, job done, really, uh, for Eric and Lubin. Um, Eric, what did you like, if anything, uh, from Lubin here? What didn't you like? Um, can we say he's all the way back now from that first round knock it, knockout loss to Charlo back to where he was right before that near the top of the 154 pounders? Uh, in terms of what I liked and what I didn't, I guess what I liked most among what I saw from Lubin was his mix of patience and explosiveness. Mm. You know, he, he like he wasn't pressing; he, he was fighting smart. He's kind of letting the fight come to him. But when he had the chance, he opened up, and uh, he did seem to hurt Gallimore, as he said a few times, particularly uh, in the fourth round. He hurt him with that right hook, and and just got a little unlucky that there was a timeout to put Gallimore's mouthpiece back in. Um, yeah. What I didn't like uh, is that Lubin and Gallimore, too, really, coasted down the stretch. The last couple of rounds, he seemed to stop trying for the knockout, which is smart to an extent, but I picked the knockout, so Lubin loses points with me. Um, <laughs> and by the way, th this is a compliment of sorts for Lubin. Uh, as bold as Gallimore was in some regards, talking trash, showing guts, the fact is he was never going all out on offense because he clearly was respectful of Lubin's speed and power. Um, after he, he took some big combinations at the end of the sixth round, uh, it seemed from that point on, Gallimore was mostly in I'm happy to last the distance mm -hmm. mode. Um, as for your question about whether Lubin is all the way back, yeah, I think so. Uh, let's put it this way. He's as ready as he's going to be to take on a top five guy. Now, he might get hit and crumble again, uh, but he might not. Uh, either way, I don't think he needs to be eased along anymore. He's had these four comeback fights now, look good enough in all of them. So whether it's a rematch with Charlo or a shot at a Tony Harrison or a Julian Williams, I'd be psyched to see any of those fights, really, in, mm -hmm. in early 2020. Yeah. Um, in the co-feature, we had a fight that, if you didn't actually watch it, you might think it was similar to the main event, as it went the 10-round distance and one fighter won by comfortable scores. But whereas Lubin Gallimore featured ho-hum action, Robert Easter versus Adrian Ganados was a tremendous mix of styles for the fans, a thrilling fight that was competitive throughout, but still fairly lopsided in terms of scoring it round by round, and perhaps a bit lacking in drama because of that. Easter won the fight by scores of 97-93, 98-92, both solid scorecards in my view. And 100 to 90. Uh, that to me was an outrageous card. Granados certainly deserved better than that. Um, on the heels of Easter's dreadful slog against Rensis Bartholomew, no doubt this was a much better style matchup and a far better piece of matchmaking for the fans. And it turns out this is something we discussed last week. Is Granados washed? Is he not? He is not washed. He just ran into the wrong opponent for him in Danny Garcia. Unfortunately for Easter, I think we have enough evidence now that he's a level below the Danny Garcias of the world. I'd say he's a solid B-plus fighter. I don't see him ever finding much success against the elite fighters. 
still, he got the win. It was entertaining. What did you think of Robert Easter in his 140-pound debut? Yeah, it's funny you say that. My my main takeaway was exactly that thought that you just expressed. I actually made a note to that effect while I was watching the fight. Um, Easter looked good and lively, although Granados did, did have a few good rounds. Um, he showed some good hand speed and some nice combinations, but I couldn't help but feel while watching him that a truly elite guy might have been able to end it you know, instead of going the distance, you know, notwithstanding right. the fact that Granados, you know, is renowned for his toughness. Um, I, I came away thinking, yeah, this is good, but especially following on from the 140 pound contest that we'll talk about later that took place earlier in the day, mm-hmm. um, it, there did seem to be like a, a very significant gap, I think, in terms of uh, talent and ability. Um, but I also came away thinking that he sort of reestablished himself. He did a great deal to erase the disappointment of that Bartholomew encounter. You know, if you're going to win, at least win in an exciting manner rather than, you know, go through the trudgery of the draw uh, that he had against Barthelemy. Uh, I wasn't particularly looking forward to this contest, to be honest, because the memory of that fight was, was, was still quite fresh. But after that, I am reminded there really is talent there that, especially against the right opponent, um, he can be entertaining. He could fight for a title. He could, under the right circumstances, particularly given the prevalence of titles, uh, win one. Um, but unfortunately for him, as you and I will discuss a little bit later on, right now there is an awful lot of talent at 140. Um, yeah. And I don't feel he's quite up there. Everything would have to go right for him. Um, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a very entertaining guy who can get some good fights, who can be a really good contender, challenger type. And in the right circumstances, if everything goes right for him, like I said, he could easily come away with a bell. Um, I do feel for Granados. Um, he looked, he sounded so deflated by that 100 to 90 score, didn't he? I thought, yeah. I thought he might be about to cry, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I really did. I mean, he clearly won, in my book, at least two rounds. Granted, I don't think he won more than three. I, I'm with you. I think either one of those scores, 97, 93, 98, 92, are just right. And you might say, well, what difference does it make? And it does make a difference to a boxer. If you put that effort in, it's like you wonder sometimes, especially given that he's come out on the wrong end of decisions before, he's got to wonder what's the point. You know, are right. some of these guys filling in their scorecards before I even fight? He, he's Seemed, he seemed really deflated for, by that, and, and I felt so sorry for him for that. And, you know, he's a level below Easter, but he's another guy who's going to give his all, and I hope he gets some more opportunities as well. Yeah, uh, uh, agreed. That was kind of tough to watch him uh, reacting to, to that there, but uh, it showed, showed he's still got something left, even if he's the kind of guy who's likely to kind of keep coming up a little short in yeah. these sort of fights. Yeah, exactly. Um, Rounding out our trio of fights that went to the 10-round distance, uh, listeners will recall that on last week's podcast, we learned mid-recording that F.A. Ajagba was out of his heavyweight bout against Jack Mulawai. Soon after, we learned undefeated Cuban Frank Sanchez, who we saw earlier this year on Showbox, was stepping in. And Sanchez prevailed over Mulawai in the most one-sided bout on this card. Unanimous shutout scores of 100 to 90. Uh, Not a great fight, um, but clearly Sanchez was the guy who was making the effort, was making the fight, clearly landing the better punches. Um, Eric, could you draw any conclusions from that performance? Uh, and I'll ask you the question you asked me last week that proved to be for naught. Would a Jagba have KO'd Malawi? Uh, to address the first part first, just about Sanchez, I couldn't draw much in the way of conclusions for him because, you know, he looked good, but there was nothing coming back at him. Yeah. Um, maybe it was good for his development, getting some rounds in, but I have no clue if I am looking at a serious prospect yeah. or a middling prospect. Um. The Ajagba question is interesting. I 
kind of want to see that fight rescheduled almost uh, to find out just to see how Ajagba compares to Sanchez. Yeah. Um, my guess is no, Ajagba wouldn't have stopped him either. Mulawai is one of those heavyweights who's plenty competent defensively, who can take a punch. I mean, in the very first round, Sanchez landed a few bombs that against the real stumble bums of the heavyweight division, that's it, fight's over. Uh, but Mulawai took him just fine and kept coming. So I suspect he's just a tough guy to knock out, and Ajagba wouldn't get him out of there either. Um, so d- does that uh, analysis all, all match up with your pages and pages of brilliant notes on Ajagba versus Mulawai that you didn't get well, to use last time? I, well, unfortunately, of course, as you remember, I shredded them immediately. <laughs> and, so and you forgotten completely what they said? Oh uh, yeah, and I erased any digital copy of it as well, cause, <laughs> as as is my want. Uh, right, so, right. Yeah. Um, so really, I, I can't really respond to that, I'm afraid. Okay, all right. We'll never know. Um, so that was the Showtime Boxing Special Edition card from Reading, and the Easter Granados fight was clearly the highlight there. But it probably wasn't quite the fight of the weekend. That designation goes to a fight in the same division, junior welterweight, that took place at the O2 Arena in London, the World Boxing Super Series Finals between Josh Taylor and Regis Progre. We've had a string of excellent fights at the world-class level this fall, one after another. Spence Porter, Golovkin Derevyanchenko, Betterbiev Gvozdik, and now Taylor Progre fits right in there with that crew of almost fight-of-the-year caliber scraps. This was fought at an extremely high skill level, and the first four rounds were tough to score. Then Taylor appeared to take charge in the middle rounds, only to see Progre rally in rounds 11 and 12, and on my card at least, pull even. I I scored the fight 114-114, although I'll admit I felt like I'd given Progre all the close rounds, and I felt like really anything from 116-112 Taylor Two 114-114 would be just fine. The official scores were 114-114, 115-113, and a slight reach at 117-112 as Taylor delighted the UK fans and won a majority decision. How did you score it, Kieran? Uh, I scored it 116-112 for Taylor. Okay. Um, I, I thought that Taylor, but I will agree with you that there was a lot of rounds in there that, that were certainly very tight. Um, I thought that Taylor started the brighter in the first two rounds, controlling the range well and I was a bit surprised in those first couple of rounds. I looked like Pro Gray was lunging a little bit more than I was used to, kind of slightly wild swings, uh, mm-hmm. looking a little bit less polished than I'd seen him before. But then I thought in round three, Pro Gray was really starting to get into the groove. And, and, and he really found the distance. He was working really nicely. He was, he was firing off good combinations behind a jab. And I really thought that once Pro Gray got into that groove, he would stay there. Um, uh, but Taylor really turned it back around very nicely. I was a bit surprised to see, in my mind, in round five, as you sort of alluded to, Taylor sort of grabbed control of it a little bit again and really held on to the initiative for, for most of the, the middle part of the fight there. Uh, and then, yeah, I think with Taylor really suffering with that eye injury down the yes. end, Progre really uh, doing very well over those 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 final couple rounds. I, I mean, it was really interesting. It was one of those fights where it seemed like the distance was really a factor. Each guy really needed to just control the distance. And it was just one of those things where what was an ideal distance for one guy was just a matter of inches different than what was the ideal distance for the other guy. And I think that's what made it one of those compelling fights as the two were trying to get that key advantage to be able to get their key punches working very well. Um, Really, really high caliber fight. Uh, I've been high on Taylor for a while, but this was as good as I've seen him. Um, I was tremendously impressed. Uh, And no 
uh, shame at all for Progre. Um, right. You know, this is the second time this year we've seen very good 140 pounders go at it in exciting fights. Um, and it's the second time that we've seen the loser em emerge with a great deal of credit. And um, additionally, full credit to Progre for the extraordinary class, I thought, that he showed afterwards. You know, saying that Taylor was, was the worthy winner and making right. no excuses what, whatsoever. Um, so I think we were probably both slightly leaning toward Progre coming into this. Um, you know, I had a hard time picking it, but if, if you put a gun to my head, I would have said Regis Progre, uh, even though you did score it, even it sounds like you, you know, had afterwards, if you felt that either man had got the win, you probably felt that it would have been Taylor. Yeah. Um, so did Taylor's performance exceed your expectations? And if so, how, how? Uh, in a few ways, yeah, he, he did. Yes, uh, he, he was a little better on the inside than I realized. You talked mm. about that that distance, and I kind of thought he was going to want to keep the fight uh, at more of a distance. But when they were in close, uh, he he turned out to be a better fighter than I than I was aware of. Um, he went to the body very well. Both fighters did really. Um, what stood out most, though, that I didn't quite realize coming into this was how resourceful Taylor was. It mm. seemed almost every round he found some new punch to throw from a new angle, timed in a new way. He's just a very versatile fighter. Yeah. Um, and of course, he's tough and gutsy, battling through that nasty, bloody, swollen right eye down the stretch. Um, also, he exceeded my expectations in the post-fight interview uh, when his first comment was, that was a walk in the park, wasn't it? Uh, good, good <laughs> sense of humor on Taylor. Um, and uh, speaking of post-fight interviews, uh, as you did, I will tip my cap to the classiness of Pro Gray insisting the better man won tonight. Although mm. out of the other side of his mouth, he did seem to suggest he didn't quite agree with the decision. Um, sure. But uh, nevertheless, very classy in defeat. One other thing that I want to comment on Real quick, um, I don't know if this was DAZN or the British broadcaster whose feed they were using, but replacing a view of the fight with a round graphic after the round begins every round. I don't know if that was bothering you as much as it was bothering me, but the round would start and then it pops up on the screen, taking up the mm. whole screen round right. four. And then we cut back after having missed several seconds of action. Uh, nobody wants to trade even three seconds of, of live fight right. action for a graphic that could be just as effective placed in the corner of the screen. Uh, that's, that's what seems like a production decision made by someone who I have to assume is not a boxing fan. Uh, so that, that got under my skin and I just wanted to call it out. But anyway, getting back to uh, in-ring analysis, um, between this and Easter Granados, we saw some outstanding action at 140 pounds this weekend. Give me your top five now in the division, now that we have a, a bit more clarity than we did a few days ago. Um, so, yeah, we asked last week whether the winner of Taylor Progray would be the number one in this division. I think on the basis of what we saw, Taylor has to be number one. I mean, I think he thoroughly deserves it with the performance that he put against a, a, a really high quality opponent. Uh, for me, I think probably Jose Ramirez deserves to be second. Um, and at some point, We've got to see those two go at it and what a fight that would be if that were possible to make. Mm -hmm. um, my number three and number four are the guys who just lost to those two. Um, Progray did well enough and the fight was close enough that I would put him at number three. And Maurice Hooker, I would put at four, even though Ramirez stopped him. It was a fantastic even fight up until then. And I would still be very happy to also see Hooker and Ramirez again. Um, and for five, for me at the moment, it's a little bit of a tough call. I would probably have either Victor Postol or Ivan Baranchik. Um, I might have Baranchik, whose lone career loss to Taylor looks pretty good right now. 
but Postol himself has only lost to Taylor and Terence Crawford, so that's pretty good. They're about my 5A and 5B. Postol's going to be fighting Ramirez. Uh, I think that's the next fight for them both, hmm. which will probably give a little bit of um, a, a clarity in that regard. But yeah, I might have Baranchik 5A and Postol 5B. So I'm actually putting six people in my top five. So. <laughs> in typical straddling <laughs> the fence exactly. somehow. You always find a way. Yeah. How about you? Um, mine is very similar. We have the same top three, and then it uh, gets a little bit different. I should note, I still have no idea quite how to handle Mikey Garcia. Um, but if I, if I had to guess... I'd say he's done at 140, so I'm uh, I'm taking him out of the mix for the purposes of ranking the the division right now. Uh, but of course, if it turns out he's still in the mix, he might still be the man to beat here. I might put him uh, above Taylor or sort of a one one a sort of situation with those two. Um, but certainly, without him, Taylor is the clear number one right now. Uh, and like you, I go Ramirez two and Progray three. Um, it's close uh, between those two. Uh, but when in doubt, I guess go with the undefeated guy, mm. even if I'm not sure Ramirez should be favored over Progray head-to-head or whether he'd do any better against Taylor than Progray did. Um, but until he's until he's suffered a loss, I, I like him at two, Progray at three. I like Victor Postal at number okay. four. I think his competitive loss to Taylor looks better now. Yep. Um, and at number five, um, I'm going with your number four, Mighty Mo Hooker. Good division, though. Uh, I love it when we get a little clarity, uh, especially in a fight where nobody's stock goes down, which is certainly yeah. what we saw here. Um, two fights of note on the Taylor Progray undercard. We had Lee Selby outboxing Ricky Burns to win a majority decision in a fight in which much of the most memorable action took place after the bell. And we saw poor David Price do what David Price does, mm. get hurt, go down, and get stopped, this time at the hands of Derek Chisora in round four. A fight that earned me some easy money, at least. Um, if it had been almost any other fighter, I wouldn't have supported the corner throwing in the towel after a single knockdown that the fighter got up from. But in the case of David Price, that was a damn fine towel toss. Um, anything to comment on with either of these undercard fights? Um, not much, other than to say I hope David Price doesn't keep this up too much longer. Yep. Um, he seems like he's a super nice guy. Um, and, you know, he's had some misfortune in his career. You know, his first couple of losses were to guys who subsequently, you know, were found to have some PED issues. And I don't know whether things might have been different otherwise, but I just think there's just something in his constitution um, as a boxer that, you know, he's one of those guys who's really good at giving it and not just not so good at all at taking it. Um, I do think I'm finally ready to relinquish my dream of watching him fight for a world title at Anfield. I think that can finally be put to bed. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Time to, <laughs> time to let it go, Kieran. Yeah. Uh, all right, last fight card to touch on from this past weekend in Reno, Nevada. Shakur Stevenson won against Joet Gonzalez, capturing a decision by scores of 119-109 on all three cards in a fight that had the most remarkable of grudge storylines going into it. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of anything quite like that before. Um, and by all accounts, the grudge continues. Stevenson <laughs> hoping that it would be all over, but uh, Gonzalez apparently just still mad at Stevenson for dating his Gonzalez's sister or something. I, I don't know. But for all that hype and trash talk, all quite one-sided in the end. Um, and on the undercard, Michaela Mayer remained unbeaten, dominating overmatched Alejandro Zamora until Zamora's cornerman, her father, stopped the fight after round six. Uh, anything you want to say about those wins for those two 2016 Olympians? Uh, well, on the Mayor Zamora front, I'll just say that was a fascinating thing to watch, a dad stopping his daughter's fight. Um, if it was me, if my daughter was in the ring, 
I'd throw in the towel the first time the opponent cocks a punch. Right. Uh, if she right. just pulls an arm back to punch my daughter, okay, that's enough. Live to fight another day. I'm waving my arms in the air. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic, uh, but the fight wasn't all that compelling. Uh, pretty one-sided. Um, as for Shakur Stevenson, eh, couldn't bring myself to care much about this fight, even with that great personal story about him dating Gonzalez's sister. This was just never a compelling matchup. I don't care if some vacant BS belt was at stake. This wasn't a real championship fight. This was prospect versus prospect. Now Stevenson becomes a prospect with a belt. Uh, He's certainly a top talent, showed excellent defense, uh, albeit against a much slower guy. I saw a bit of interesting debate online over whether Stevenson is a boring fighter. I don't know. It's hard to say for sure when he's this much better than the opponent. He certainly doesn't look right now like a guy who's going to make a lot of fight of the year candidates but let's see what happens when he steps up uh which i hate that i have to say that about a quote-unquote champion uh, that he has to step up but that's where we are with boxing and this overabundance of belts needing to be claimed by someone yeah uh all right let's turn our attention from this past weekend's fights to the loaded boxing schedule that awaits us this coming weekend uh we will start with no doubt the biggest fight of the weekend probably the most talked about fight of the whole month of November, perhaps even the year. Um, Canelo Alvarez moving up from middleweight to light heavyweight to take on Sergei Kovalev at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Uh, that's on Saturday, and it's carried by DAZN. Uh, we've been talking about this fight on this podcast since long before it was signed. Uh, we've probably already devoted about an hour of podcast time to it over the last several months, so we don't need to spend too long on it. But I think all along, both of us has felt have felt it's it's the perfect fight for Canelo in many ways, and the matchup favors him. And, and that opinion, I think, was probably only bolstered when Kovalev was pushed really hard by Anthony Yardy in August. But that said, Sergei Kovalev is still Sergei Kovalev. And you have to figure Kovalev is in with a good shot of winning this fight. And if he is, how does he do it? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I've thought this through because I am a guy who has said all along that this really does favor Canelo. Um, so, so I'm trying to just uh, put my mind uh, on the in the other corner and figure out how Kovalev pulls off this win that I don't think he's going to pull off. Um, I know some people will say, oh, he's the bigger man. He's a puncher. He should walk to Canelo and land a right-hand bomb. I think that's the opposite of how he should approach this, that he's the bigger man isn't of that much importance, but that he's the taller man yep. is... Kovalev has an excellent jab. Uh, It knocked out Anthony Yard, after all, uh, though exhaustion did 95% of the work there. Um, But he has a top-notch jab. He has boxing skills. He's had them a long time, but they've particularly shown themselves since he hooked up with Buddy McGirt. I think Kovalev needs to use his legs and his jab. And when Canelo gets preoccupied enough by the jab then he can focus on dropping those right hands in, but yep. also get his hands back quickly so he doesn't get countered by the hook. Um, if I was Buddy McGirt, that's the game plan I'd draw up. We're jabbing, we're jabbing, we're jabbing some more, we're jabbing to the body, and we're moving, and we're tying up when Canelo gets in close. Uh, Kovalev had better be in great shape uh, to pull off a game plan like that. It won't be easy to do, but that's how I can see Kovalev winning this fight, by really using his height and reach, and then uh, if he's not going to get the knockout, if he's going to box, 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 you'd better win at least seven rounds very clearly. Uh, You aren't looking to win close rounds on the scorecards against Canelo in Vegas. Uh, So it won't be easy, but that's how I'd map it out. How about you? 100%. Absolutely. He's the bigger man only in the sense 
that he's the taller man with the longer reach. You know, he's not going to be the more massive guy in there. Um, you know, I think in terms of how they normally walk around, I doubt that there's very much difference at all, if any, between Canelo's weight and Kovalev. Canelo might actually be a slightly more naturally bigger guy, uh, heftier in that sense, 100%. Look, we've seen from Canelo, the only time I've ever seen Canelo really hurt, and I'm probably forgetting something, but was way back early in his career when Jose Cotto had him wobbling for a little bit. And apart from that, Canelo's really, um, I don't know, if you, if you can think of another one, do let me know. But by and large, Canelo, especially lately, has shown that he's got one heck of a chin on him. The guy went yeah. 24 rounds with Gennady Golovkin. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, um, and was coming forward in that second fight. So I think if you're looking to try and, and knock the guy out, even at 175, and arguably with the extra weight, Canelo might even have better punch resistance. Absolutely, 100%. Kovalev is a better boxer than he's given credit for because when we got to know him, he was just blasting people out of there and he had that kind of crusher personality that went with it. And I know that Buddy McGirt will have been working on the fundamentals with him and working on him doing exactly that. Jab and move, jab and move, jab and move. And I think... Uh, you touched on it. The real key to his being able to do that is whether he can be in shape. I think his conditioning has been an issue uh, mm. because sometimes he hasn't necessarily focused on his training as much as he as he should do. We'll see whether he's going to do that better with Buddy. But absolutely, the better opportunity for Kovalev to win is if it goes the distance, which might seem counterintuitive, but I think you know that's the case. But as you said, he may have to win nine or ten rounds to to get seven. Right. Or right. six. Or, right. Even. Or, at, or at least be really clear cut in, in the yeah. rounds that he's winning. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just as far as the in shape thing, uh, one thing to look for here, and we talked about this when the fight was being negotiated, uh, the fact that it's a quick turnaround for Kovalev, a little quicker tur- turnaround than he wanted. Right. Maybe that's a good thing because he did not really have time to get out of shape after the yard fight. So right. uh, maybe that helps with his conditioning in this fight. We'll see. Um on our old podcast uh, for some other network that used to televise boxing, <laughs> our fight previews always included the question of what's at stake. Um, I'm going to posit something I think is at stake for each of these fighters. You tell me if you agree or disagree. For Kovalev, I think if he beats Canelo, he punches his ticket to the Hall of Fame. If he loses to Canelo, he's not getting into the Hall. Uh, for Canelo, I think if he wins, we'll hear a strong drumbeat for him from board media members who've forgotten that Vasily Lomachenko is an alien, uh, (laughs) making the case for Canelo at number one pound for pound. And if he loses, well, nothing bad will happen because he's Canelo and he's insanely popular and he can just move back down and wait. How do you feel, Kieran, about those assessments of what's at stake? I I agree with pretty much all of that. Um, Maybe I might not be quite so definitive in writing off Kovalev's Hall of Fame chances if he does lose, um, simply because we've seen in the past that people can get in with it kind of depends on who's on the ballot uh, at a particular time it's going to be a full ballot for the next several years as these whole (laughs) as the whole new uh, criteria work their way out but maybe by the time he's you know he's retired he's just going to end up being the top vote getter because there's going to be nobody else um but I agree with you that if he does beat Canelo, then that's absolute. Then yes, that does clinch his place in the hall. Um, I was trying to think about the, the issue about wh- whether Canelo loses. I, I was trying to think of a scenario in which it would make a big difference for him. But you know, I guess 
you know, if he's competitive, but he falls up just a bit short, then certainly he won't lose anything from it at all. I, I guess if there was some circumstance in which he wasn't competitive at all, mm-hmm. like if he got knocked out early or l- looked like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. against Sergio Martinez for the first 11 and a half rounds of that fight um, or quit, none of which I think are remotely likely, by the way. But those are sort of scenarios where I could see, oh, maybe that would be a black mark on Canelo um, and on his popularity. But no, I think the fact that this is perceived as being such a challenge that he's taking on sort of inoculates him against anything, whatever happens to some to some extent, I think. Right. Uh, quick note about this fight, because whenever we talk about Canelo Alvarez fighting in Las Vegas, uh, we inevitably talk about the judges. Um, Nevada announced the officials a few days ago. The ref will be Russell Mora. And the judges are Dave Moretti, Don Trella, and Julie Letterman. Uh, Moretti was a judge in both Canelo Triple G fights. Trella was a judge in the first one. Uh, and Julie Letterman is generally a very sound judge, I find. Yes. Um, so let's go ahead and make some very quick unofficial predictions for this one shall we seeing as we started doing that for uh, mm-hmm. the more exciting non-showtime fights so i'll be honest there was a period there where i was starting to wobble ever so slightly i think from the off we talked about this already i think both of us from the off picked canelo to win yeah. with perhaps the only caveat being whether it be by points or stoppage i have in my head begun to try and create scenarios and imagine scenarios in which kovalev could win, and we just talked about what that scenario would be, that he's somehow able to, to keep that jab going and stick and move and, and drop that right hand behind the jab and frustrate Canelo. I just, but I just don't see it happening. I just, I know that Canelo can be frustrated by guys who show that kind of movement and use that jab. And Kovalev, he's just not nimble enough to do that. And I don't think he's going to be able to keep Canelo off. Um, so... I've gone back to basically assuming that, yes, I think Canelo is going to win. And I think he's going to win, actually, by stoppage. Mm. I do. I think, you know, Kovalev might do pretty well. Canelo's going to respect him, I think, early on, isn't he? But I could see him gradually wearing his way in. And, well, as we know, cliche alert, Kovalev doesn't like it to the body, Eric. (laughs) Right, right. I've heard that. (laughs) But this is actually one of those scenarios where I could absolutely see a body shot being the shot that stops, that ends the fight. I could see Kovalev drop into a knee with a really good body shot by Canelo because I think he's just going to, he's got that long trunk and Canelo's going to work on it to slow him down, I think, and gradually overwhelm him. So I can't, my guess would be, if we were making an official prediction, I would go for Canelo, TKO, I think around nine, no, 10. I think it'll go a good distance. Okay. Yeah, I could absolutely see exactly that scenario unfolding. I've really gone back and forth over whether to predict the stoppage or not. Mm. Um, I can absolutely see Canelo's body work wearing Kovalev down and the big Russian wilting somewhere in the second half of the fight. But I kind of feel like Canelo is going to be respectful enough of Kovalev's power not to take huge chances going Mm -hmm. for the knockout. And I think Kovalev sees this as such an important fight for him, such a defining fight where he just can't get stopped by a middleweight. Uh, right. I feel like that's going to be his mindset as we get into the late rounds. If if it's clear he's way behind, um, that he's he's just going to be determined to at least make the distance. I see him holding on, maybe literally, uh, to mm-hmm. last uh, the full 12 rounds. I'm going to say Canelo takes a unanimous decision. Okay. Uh, now, Canelo versus Kovalev on Saturday night may be the main course of the weekend. 
But we get a pretty good appetizer on Friday night, November 1st, when Showbox returns from Samstown Hotel and Gambling Hall in Las Vegas with a rare quadruple header brought to us by Mayweather Promotions starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the main event. Ten rounds in the junior lightweight division, Xavier Martinez, who scored a third-round knockout of John Moralde in his Showbox debut in April, returns against the more experienced Jesse Chris VIP Rosales of the Philippines. <laughs> the 22-year-old Martinez is 14-0 with 10 knockouts. Rosales, 27 years old, he's been a pro since the age of 16, has a record of 22-3-1, also with 10 KOs. Uh, but he's lost three of his last four, including a KO2 at the hands of Johnny Gonzalez and a KO4 by Shakur Stevenson, though in between was a noteworthy KO2 win over 13-1 and Ibrahim Bala. We were impressed with Martinez the last time we saw him. Uh, we'll get to measure him against fellow up-and-comer Stevenson based on this result. So, Kieran, what are you looking to see from Martinez? How tough a test is Rosales? And do you think the young prospect here can outshine Shakur Stevenson? Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting elements to this, isn't it? That it's not just Martinez against Rosales. This sort of subplot is Martinez measuring himself against Shakur Stevenson. Um, as you mentioned, look, Rosales has lost three of his last four. But, you know, two of those three were against highly recognized, high caliber opponents, even if Johnny Gonzalez is a bit long in the tooth. Uh, the other one was to Tyler McCreary, who's uh, undefeated. Um, you know, but it does all suggest that Rosales has a level and that he's found it. Um, and I think the key now is for Martinez to establish that he is of that same level as, say, a Shakur Stevenson, and therefore just that bit above what Rosales has. Uh, Ray Woods, who's trained Martinez since the boxer was seven years old, has said, uh, quote, this will be a good fight for Xavier because he's stepping up in class. Anything can happen, but I can't see this guy being able to stay in there with Xavier. Xavier is a big puncher and he's getting stronger. Uh, Rosales is a boxer mover. But as we've seen from his previous appearance on Showbox, Martinez can also box a move and he can punch. Um, mm. Will he be able to outdo Stevenson? I don't know. Uh, that's a bit of a tall order. Stevenson had everything going right. That was one of those fights where he wasn't boring at all. Uh, he was utterly dominant. Um, Martinez should win this, but it doesn't matter particularly, I think, if he takes longer to do so than Stevenson or Gonzalez did. Uh, but I do think that he wants to be able to show he's able to take the step up in his stride and 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 produce the kind of performance that proves he absolutely at least belongs on the fringes of the conversations with the likes of the Shakur Stevensons. Uh, we get to see another undefeated 22-year-old prospect in the co-feature as Richardson Hitchens of Brooklyn, 9-0 with five KOs, takes a step up in competition against Kevin Thunderstorm Johnson. Love that. 7-1, four KOs, fighting out of Las Vegas via Detroit in a 10-round junior welterweight fight. Uh, Hitchens represented Haiti in the 2016 Olympics, where he lost in the first round to Gary Antoine Russell, and he's off to an outstanding start as a pro. But Johnson might just be able to test him. Among Johnson's seven wins, a three against previously undefeated fighters with records of 8-0, 3-0, and 8-0-1. And so, what should we be looking for in our first look at Hitchens? And does this fight have show-stealing potential, do you think? Uh, before I answer the questions, I'll just note, uh, since you paused to enjoy that nickname, I think it was just probably very important to him to have some sort of nickname so that nobody would mistake him with the heavyweight yeah. Kevin Johnson, who, right. uh, whose career we would pretty much all like to forget as soon as possible. Right. Um, so uh, you asked if it has show-stealing potential. I think it does, um, because 
Johnton has a fan-friendly style to go along with his proven track record for handing prospects their first loss. Um, I'd make him the underdog to pull that off again, though, uh, because Hitchens looks to be the goods from the little I've seen of him. He's a tremendous combination puncher. He loves throwing those punches in bunches, uh, but I let him describe his style because he's better at it than I am. He says, I'm like the craziest fighter ever. Uh, Emmanuel Augustus might have something to say about right. that, but, uh, but okay. I like the spirit. Um, a couple of additional notes. Hitchens has Andre Rozier in his corner as an assistant to Leonard Wilson. I'm, I'm not uh, so familiar with, with Leonard Wilson, but we know Rozier is a good guy to have working with you. Uh, and while Hitchens is a Mayweather promotions fighter, Johnson actually trains at the Mayweather gym. So I presume they know each other a little. Yeah. Uh, also on the card, we have an eight-round middleweight fight between Kevin the Second Coming, Newman the Second, and Madman Marcos Hernandez, a rematch to a minor upset six-round unanimous decision win by Hernandez in 2017 that spoiled Newman's perfect record, and that fight uh, was actually on the Mayweather-McGregor undercard. Uh, Newman is 10-1-1 with six knockouts. Hernandez is 14-2-1 with just three knockouts. And I was looking at Hernandez's name, thinking it look familiar and the reason is he was on the most recent contender series on epics he won a fight but suffered cuts and had to withdraw from the tournament uh anyway hernandez beat newman two years ago on aggression and on a sixth round knockdown that newman says was a slip kieran what does newman have to do to turn the tables and get revenge well, at least according to Newman, one key thing is to show up in top condition uh, without any issues. He claims he wasn't 100% for that first fight, although he won't elaborate on what supposedly was wrong. Um, one of the interesting themes I note in this card, apart from some very, very high caliber nicknames, um, <laughs> is that many of these young fighters, uh, especially the nominal A-sides, can boast uh, real A-list corners. You already talked about Andre Rozier, for example. Uh, Newman's no exception. Uh, former fighter Bones Adams is the assistant trainer. Um, he's also worked with Roy, Roy Jones sometimes, who was a fairly decent fighter. Um, and he also used to be trained by Jeff Mayweather. Uh, and he's been able to attract that kind of trainer because he's considered highly by Mayweather promotions. And that's because he is a classy boxer with a high upside. But I think what happened the first time against Hernandez Look, he was simply, it was one of those nights where he was comprehensively outworked, as you mentioned. It. You, there was, Hernandez won it on aggression, basically. In some ways, I think it was one of those classic examples of what can happen when a young, classy boxer simply gets out-hustled by an opponent who just seems to want it more on that night. Um, Newman says that he's a counterpuncher, but he's trying to learn to be more aggressive. And I think that's going to be key for him against Hernandez, not to throw his style out of the window completely, but sometimes... As a counterpuncher, especially, you know, if you're uh, a young counterpuncher um, who's very highly touted, sometimes the tendency can be to lay, lay back and look for gaps to open up to shoot punches into. And that can be problematic when the other guy's a real pressure fighter who doesn't give you those gaps. And then before you know it, you've been out-hustled and you've dropped a decision. So sometimes the counterpuncher also has to fire off enough punches of his own to slow the other guy down and open him up a little bit. Uh, that's what Newman needs to do on Friday night. Yeah, and I suppose uh, having a couple extra rounds compared to the first time right. should help if you're, if you're that guy who risks giving a round away here and there right. by not being busy enough. That's really tough in a six-rounder, not quite as big an issue in an eight-rounder. Indeed. Indeed. Talking of six-rounders, 
we have one to round out the show uh, in the lightweight division. Uh, Las Vegas's Rolando Romero, 9-0 with eight KOs, risks that perfect record against Juan Carlos Cordones of the Dominican Republic, who is 14-1 with nine KOs. This is a great showbox card, right? Yeah. Like people with zeros and ones as, as <laughs> in terms of their losses going up against each other. This is just a really, really good showbox card. Uh, Cordones is trying to bounce back from his first loss, which was a third-round stoppage at the hands of Danielito Zaria that saw Cordones get caught cold in the first round and never really recover. Um, yeah, that's a pretty uh, pretty strong uh, eight KOs from uh, nine starts. Is a pretty, pretty good uh, knockout percentage <laughs> there from Romero. Is, uh, is Cordones in risk of signing up for a second straight KO loss here? Tough call. Uh, he did get caught cold, as you said, against Zaria. And Zaria's a top prospect out of Puerto Rico. He's 13-0 and with 10 knockouts. So that, that loss doesn't prove anything awful about Cordones. But... Yeah, I'd say chances are he gets stopped again because Romero, uh, a top prospect who's managed by Al Heyman and is another guy who trains at the Mayweather Boxing Club, he's a real puncher. Uh, Eight KOs in nine fights, as you said, four of them in the first round. And if you don't believe me, perhaps you'll believe Romero, who says, (laughs) I'm the hardest puncher in the world under 147 pounds. Uh, Bold statement there. Uh, That's only my second favorite quote from Romero. Uh, My favorite is this one. He was asked some basic biographical stuff. And when questioned about how many brothers and sisters he has, he says, honestly, I have no idea how many siblings (laughs) I have. My dad got active. Damn. Good for Papa Romero, I guess. Uh, not the most responsible guy, not the ideal role model, but uh, he's living life to the fullest, it would seem. <laughs> Evidently. Uh, so we will make our official picks for the main event shortly. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about this card some more with our guests, shall we? All right. As we mentioned, uh, this upcoming Showbox quadruple header is a Mayweather Promotions card. And to spend a few minutes talking about it. And about the boxing biz more generally, we are joined now, I am pleased to say, by the best-dressed man in boxing promotion, the CEO of Mayweather Promotions, Leonard Ellaby. Hey, Leonard, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? We're great. Thanks for coming on, Leonard. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, b- before we get into this showbox card specifically, uh, I have a question about how your career in boxing has changed in the past couple of years. For a very long time, you had one main fighter to focus on. I forget his name. Some guy, Floyd something. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious what it's been like for you to go from having that one fighter who's the clear number one priority to spreading your attention around more to this whole stable of boxers since Floyd's retirement. Well, actually, we've, we've had a lot of fighters when, when Floyd was active, but, but obviously the focus now since he's uh, stepped away from the game and retired. You know, the focus has definitely been on, you know, we have uh, about 41 fighters. Mm. Um, oh. And, you know, they're located all in various places, you know, um, in the U.S. And I have uh, two international fighters. Um, so, you know, we, we're very excited. These are very exciting times for Mayweather Promotions. And, and I'm currently, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've signed a couple um, young, exciting, talented fighters. Um, so we're we're looking to uh, continue to to do big things in the sport, and um, we're really excited. And just for you, was it a fairly easy transition to the the sort of post Floyd fighting career? I guess because you guys were already working with a bunch of fighters before he retired. I, I assume it wasn't that dramatic of a, a transition for you. 
No, not at all. Because I, I, you know, hands on with everything and the day to day stuff. I have a tremendous team. I can't say that enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very big and very proud of what an outstanding team that I have. Um, and my, my team, the core of my team, we've been working together for a number of years. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a seamless process, but we're excited about building these young fighters' careers. Um, we're doing, um, you know, these club shows. Um, we, we try to put on club shows, if not every month, every other month, with um, building the young talent that we have on our roster. And that's what it's all about. So the headliner of this Showbox show is Xavier Martinez, and we was Eric and I, and I think a lot of people, were quite impressed with him in his first Showbox appearance. Um, he's stepping up a little bit uh, against uh, Jesse Chris Rosales. Um, if he passes this test, how fast would you move him? Is he the kind of kid you, you think could be ready for a title shot in 12 months, or is that rushing it a little bit? Well, I don't want to put a timetable on it because, it all, you know, it's, it's like when you, when Floyd always said, when you rush to do something, then you trip up and you make mistakes. Mm. You know, there's no sense of urgency with, you know, getting him in a position when he's, when he's ready. And I want to make sure that he's ready, you know, across the board, you know, having different looks. Because that's what happens when you're a young fighter. Sometimes you rush a kid and, and then he steps in and there's something that you hadn't covered before, you know, um, but with us, we take our time. You know, we always match our guys tough, put them in there with solid competition because, you know, at the end of the day, that's how you build fighters and know what you got. Yeah. So w one of the fighters on this card, uh, your undefeated junior welterweight, Richardson Hitchens, he was quoted saying that Floyd Mayweather is his greatest influence. Uh, he said, uh, quote, my whole style, the way I approach boxing in and out of the ring, he was the biggest motivation to me. This is the Mayweather generation. Uh how often do you see that? Are, are we in an era where almost every kid who comes in off the street tells you he was influenced by Floyd, he got into boxing because of Floyd, his goal is to be like Floyd, et cetera? Um, well, Hitch is, he's, he's, a, he's a terrific talent, mm -hmm. and uh, he's one of my favorite fighters. Um, we, we have very candid talks, you know, about boxing, not about boxing, because, uh, you, you know, these young fighters, they need mentors. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we're all about. We, we we work with our kids, you know, on things in boxing and outside boxing because we want them to be good citizens, good citizens, be good men, you know, be good fathers, you know, and, and be great fighters in the ring. You know, um, with Hitchens, we're very, very excited about what lies ahead for him. He's a terrific talent. Um, he has exceptional skills. Um and we've matched him in some pretty solid fights thus far. But this fight come next week, this will definitely be his comeback. He's fighting Kevin Johnson um, out of Las Vegas. And actually, he trains in, in our gym. Mm -hmm. um, so I know Kevin very well. And I, it's a great matchup. And again, um, it's, it's, it's going to be Hitchens' coming out party. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him in action and, and seeing this fight. But I, I assume... He's not alone, though, in terms of this generation uh, of, of guys who, who cite Floyd as a, as a major influence. I assume you see a fair amount of that. Yes, I, I do. Um, Floyd has had a tremendous impact on, on this younger generation, you know, because obviously he's been around and, and you know, right. 
to to my generation, you know, the Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, he is to this generation. And um, that's why, and he's, he's the type of person that he's very hands-on with our guys. You know, um, they can reach out and touch him at any time that they they choose to. And and what better situation to be in to be having someone like Floyd in your corner, you know, um, and you can get great advice from he can you can work on certain things with them. I mean, I, I think that all of, all my guys are in, in a win-win situation. Yeah, you know, sort of following on from that and you talking about needing to mentor these young guys. I, you know, I imagine there's a situation where maybe initially a lot of these kids, they, they look at how Floyd fought. They look at how Floyd lives. And they're like, I want to do that. I want to I want to fight like that. I want to live like that without necessarily realizing that Floyd could do that because he's a once in a generation talent. He has once in a generation work ethic. So do you sort of like, you know, oftentimes have to sit guys down, maybe you or Floyd and say, Look, it's all it's great to dream big and it's great to want to do this, but you've got to work at it and you've got to keep your feet on the ground before you can even begin to do anything that Floyd could do. That's a great point. I mean, you couldn't have said that better. And and that that is an issue and and it, I think it will always be an issue until you have these very candid conversations with these young fighters because they they see they see all these flashy nice things, but they don't they have no clue to what kind of work a guy like Floyd had to put in. And he continued to put that in, you know, down the, the later, later years of his career. Um, and he only knows one way. And that's hard work and dedication. You know, and, and, and he Floyd always chased success. Mm. The money was going to come once you achieve success. So one thing Floyd never had to do in his career was come back from a defeat. Uh, there is one fighter on this card, uh, Kevin Newman II, who is specifically trying to avenge the lone loss on his record here. I'm curious, what, what sort of mindset is he bringing into this rematch with Hernandez? W- would you say that he's the most motivated fighter on this card? I would, I would say all the guys are mo- really, except, really, really motivated. Mm-hmm. But Kevin has this chip on his shoulder because he came to me and he said that that he don't want to fight nobody else. Hmm. He wants to avenge that he, um, during fight week, he was really sick in the last fight. And I was aware of that. Um, and it was a tough fight for him, but this camp, this fight, he's ready to go. He's ready to put on a exceptional performance, um, on Showbox, And he's really, really, I think, um, motivated um, from the last fight and I think that that's going he's looking to steal the show he yes. really is so, so it sounds like there aren't any confidence issues uh, in terms of getting back in there with a guy who did uh, officially beat him once it sounds he wanted this fight so obviously the confidence yeah, he is asked there for it. He, right. he definitely asked for it and he's been asking me ever <laughs> since that loss happened Okay, and I just you, you know now it's the t- right time to make the fight and um, his, this this card right here, from top to bottom, I, I think it's going to be the, the 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 best from top to bottom card that um, Showbox has had this entire year. Mm. I know I know for a fact it will be the most watched card. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, and you know because again, the, from top to bottom, you look at the bouts, and they're all very very evenly matched fights. And it's going to be a great night of boxing. Yeah, it's, it's really clear talking to you and listening to you talk about this, 
how much you love this, how much you really, really enjoy doing this and how much you love your fighters. And it's kind of in the final question I wanted to ask you is, you know, you're, you're one of the more familiar faces in the sport now and, and you've been around it a really long time. But I don't know that many fans, you know, know how you got where you are. Do you ever like pause and think, man, I'm, I'm a kid from Northeast D.C., and 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 here I am, you know, doing this. Do you, do you ever look back at the steps along the way and 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 kind of almost pinch yourself, like, hey, what if I'd never gone to Las Vegas that one time, or what if I, you know, never met Roger Mayweather? And like, do you, do you ever think about that, like, man, how did I wind up here? Yeah, and it's so crazy that you mentioned that. I was just having a hour and a half conversation with Barry Hunter in his <laughs> gym. I just left out of Barry Hunter's gym, and we were talking about the. The, you know, the times, because me and Barry come up together. Mm. We were talking to me, me him, and uh, my friend Derek. We were just talking about this, you know, uh, less than 30 minutes ago. <laughs> you know, boy, it's just, it's amazing how, you you know, we where we come from. Yeah. Where we come from and just to make it out of this environment and to go on and do, you know, things and, and, and become successful at some we, we sought out to do. It's, just, it's, it's truly, truly a blessing. And I'm just so thankful and blessed to be in this wonderful position to help so many these young fighters and build their careers. And and I'm I'm just really I, I have a, a great passion still for doing this. And you know we the sky's the limit. We got I have a a great group of young fighters. I have the most exciting fighter in the entire world, and Devontae Davis. And um, he's going to be the biggest star in the sport. He'll be ringside next week along with um, our other champ, um, Badu Jack. Um, so it's, it's going to be an electrifying night next week. Oh, fantastic. Man, it is, it is great to talk to you. And uh, goes to show, man, when we talk about boxing elevating people, we, we think mostly about boxers, but it can affect a whole, all of the rest of us too, right? And, and, and set us yeah, off down a path. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Hey, Leonard, look, man, it's really good to hear from you. Thanks so much from, for, for joining us. And uh, I hope we can bring you back a few more times on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Oh, most definitely. Anytime you guys need me, I'm here for you. Thanks so much, Leonard. Thanks, Leonard. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, time for us to make our predictions for the Showbox main event. Before we do, this is your frequent reminder that you too can make your own picks and put yourself in the running for some showtimey prizes. Uh, just go to draftkings.com slash showtime. Uh, and for all four bouts this time, you pick a winner, a method of victory. And if you're picking a knockout, you specify a range of rounds. And if you're on the table, you win your share of $5,000 and more importantly, a Showtime swag bag. Um, you don't win yourself a share of a Showtime swag bag. You win a Showtime swag bag. Right. Uh, there is also a season-long grand prize of a trip to every 2020 Showtime Championship boxing event. Uh, and Eric, you were doing pretty well beforehand. Are you you uh, you in any danger of doing that, of uh, going to every Showtime Championship boxing? <laughs> uh, I did not gain any ground. I did not lose any ground. Somehow I was 22nd coming into this past weekend's fights, and I did not quite nail it, and I am still in exactly 22nd place. So uh, it's a long shot that I'm going to actually finish first. But uh, I we'll think you've got those other 21 just where you went. <laughs> So again, go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime to play. Uh, as for our own mini competition, uh, Eric's lead has been just shattered. Uh, barely a lead at all. Uh, it's virtually a tie at this point. Uh, uh, Eric leading by 60 points to 56, I believe. And it is your turn to pick first. Who you got in between Xavier Martinez and Jesse Chris Rosales? 
So uh, you were noting what a strong four-fight showbox card this is. There are some fights on this card in which I can see the B-side winning, but this isn't one of them. Yeah. Uh, Martinez appears to be the real deal, and for the most part, Rosales has not fared well against real deals. Uh, and despite his boxer-mover style, he's been stopped within the first four rounds twice. He just isn't a guy I'm ready to say is going to find a way to last the distance. I like Martinez to stop him. And I'm going to say he does not do better than Shakur Stevenson did, but he doesn't do worse than Shakur Stevenson did. I'll say he stops him in the same round, KO4. Now, please make the exact same pick so you can't gain any ground (laughs) on me because I'm getting nervous. I'm going to make a other slightest of differences. Look, I, I'm super high on Xavier Martinez. I think he's very, very good. Um, and as we noted, you know, and as you said just now, Rosales has found his level, and I think it is below that of Martinez. I see Martinez just having far too much for him from the beginning, uh, um, outboxing him and breaking him down. And it might actually be a corner stoppage, one of those deals where it's just, you know, in comes another one of those towels. Uh, and I'm going to just be slightly contrarian and say maybe he takes a little bit longer. I'm going to say around five. Okay. And you know you don't get any extra points if it's a corner stoppage. Just You're welcome to specify that, but there's no bonus there for the corner stoppage bit. Oh, you say that now. <laughs> uh, yes, I do say that now. I want that on the record. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go quickly through the other fights this coming weekend, starting with the Canelo Kovalev undercard, which has one fight of note. Ryan Garcia versus Romero Duno. This looks on paper like Garcia's toughest test as a pro, as Duno of the Philippines is entering his prime at 24 years old, has won 12 straight, brings a record of 21-1 and with 16 KOs. You'll recall that Duno was considered as a very short-notice opponent for Garcia when Garcia's scheduled opponent got arrested the day before the fight in September, uh, but that did not come off. Duno went ahead and, and fought on the card. Garcia did not. I believe Garcia was among the prospects you drafted in our Rising yep. Stars draft over the summer. Okay, you are uh, correct, sir. Okay, so uh, so how serious a test is uh, Duno for your your guy King Rye? Oh, I think it could be a very serious test. Um, you know, it is a step up. It's a step up that he's been looking for. He's actually been calling out Duno on social media for a couple of months now. Um, as I think I might have mentioned before, up until this point, and maybe still, I think the biggest. Uh, risk to Ryan Garcia is Ryan Garcia. Um, He's one of these guys who needs to not believe his own press clippings or the more sycophantic whisperings of his entourage members. Um, You know, he's got what he wants now. He's got his big contract with Golden Boy that he was after. He's got Canelo Alvarez backing his play at every step along the way. What he needs to do now is bite down and focus on his in-ring business. This is where he really starts to needs to start getting serious. He needs to start going through the gears and making the steps from prospects to contender. Duno is a dangerous opponent. Um, he can box and he can crack. He is exactly the kind of opponent to expose him or cause an upset if Garcia's head isn't fully in the game. So now that Garcia's gone through all that business with Golden Boy Promotions very publicly, um, this is where he really needs to start taking the task really seriously. And I think this is where, you know, this next phase of his career is where we'll see whether or not he really is the, a, a legitimate deal or not. Yeah. A uh, few other fights of note this weekend. There's a lot of televised and stream boxing going on. Uh, on ESPN from Carson, California, uh, Miguel Burchell, I love Miguel Burchell, defends a 130-pound belt against Jason Sosa on FS1 from Oxon Hill, Maryland, a 10-rounder between junior middleweights Brian Castaño and Wale Omotoso headlines. And on a, 
it's its own card that will air in the United States during the afternoon on Saturday from Manchester, England, England, across the Atlantic Sea. Uh, Katie Taylor meets Christina Leonard Uh Anything you're looking forward to among those options? Uh, Castaño Omotoso is a very solid matchup, uh, and a couple of Gary Russells are on that undercard, by the <laughs> way. Uh, not our favorite yeah. Gary Russell, but uh, a couple of Gary Russells nonetheless. Uh, the Katie Taylor fight... I have to be honest, I'm not familiar with the opponent. I haven't yeah. seen her, but I looked up her record. Her only loss is against Delphine Pursun over the distance, mm-hmm. and we know okay. Pursun is legit. Yeah. Uh, Katie Taylor is certainly well aware that Pursun is legit. Uh, so this looks like a decent enough match for Taylor. Uh, but I guess Burchelt Sosa is the one I'm most likely to make time for because both guys make good fights. I yep. always enjoy Burchelt, uh, yep. and he has big plans. He recently said, quote, we want to clean out the division and go to lightweight for Lomachenko. Uh, I like that attitude, even if he's basically saying, we want to clean out the division and go to lightweight and get twisted into a pretzel <laughs> and end our winning streak. Um, but I try not to miss a Burchelt fight. This is worth watching, Agreed. even on a ridiculously overstuffed boxing weekend put together by a bunch of matchmakers and networks who apparently don't want Sunday podcasters to ever get right. any weekend sleep. Exactly. They never think of us, Kieran. Well, of course, I mean, you know, the whole sport doesn't think of us because if it were up to us, we would each be in bed by nine o'clock, which yes. is just when the undercards are getting started. Yes, so. every every fight card should take place in Europe. That is that is yes. what we are uh, exactly. pulling for here. Exactly. Um, OK, let's dive into the news of the week. And as we sometimes do, let's get the ugly stuff out of the way first. Last week, we learned that Oscar De La Hoya has been accused of sexual assault in a lawsuit filed on October 17th by a woman who says she had a consensual sexual relationship with De La Hoya. But one night in November 2017, he allegedly was intoxicated and violently sexually assaulted her after she refused his request for a specific sexual act. A statement from a spokesman for De La Hoya denied the allegations and called the lawsuit frivolous. I don't think there's much of anything either of us could say analysis-wise, not knowing the facts, not having all the details. We are just reporting the news. Uh, so anything to add, Kieran, or should we just go into one of your patented uncomfortable transitions? Yeah, there's absolutely nothing we can say here that will make that situation better in any conceivable way. So um, yeah, we just need to set obviously very, very serious allegations, um, and we just need to uh, let this play out in the way that it needs to play out. Um mm-hmm. So uh, we should perhaps talk a little bit about something we're arguably more qualified to talk about. Um, uh, Some newly announced fights, including several on Showtime. Uh, First, the December 7th card in Brooklyn, uh, headlined by Jamal Charlo against Dennis Hogan, now has a co-feature as Matt Koroboff, who gave Charlo a tough fight last year. will take on Chris Eubank Jr. I think this is a cracking fight. A really interesting clash of styles. Uh, Eubank uh, looking reborn in many ways uh, in his win over James DeGale. And Korobov, he became something of a forgotten man, hadn't he, after that loss to Andy Lee? And and, he, he got something of a boost from that slightly controversial loss to Charlo, um, although he didn't look very good uh, in his subsequent outing on the undercard of Williams Heard. Um, what about you? Any initial thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I like this fight. Uh, feels like a bit of a last chance situation maybe for Karabov because mm. he's 36 years old. Um, he, he's come close to that big win a couple of times against Charlo, against Andy Lee. He's coming off a draw against Emmanuel Aleem in May. It feels like 
either he beats Eubank or he's kind of out of chances. Uh, and Eubank, of course, just retired James DeGale in his last fight. So this is his chance to build some momentum. And it's his U.S. debut. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And in the bigger Showtime boxing news, a second December card has been added to the schedule. On December 28th, a holiday gift for fans and for us in what is traditionally a slow week on the boxing calendar. We have at least a doubleheader from Atlanta in the main event. A fight we speculated about after they won on the same card recently. Javante yeah. Davis meets Yuriorkis Gamboa at lightweight. And in the light heavyweight division, Jean Pascal, who upset Marcus Brown in August, defends his interim belt against the man Brown won it from, Badu Jack. Uh, and this explains why Leonard was telling us earlier about right. Davis and Jack being ringside for Showbox this Friday. Uh, these look like two solid matchups featuring four well-established names in boxing. I'm looking forward to ending the year with this card. How about you, Karen? Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it, although there's a tinge of guilt also going with that. Um, you know, uh, for, for the main event, which I'm actually pretty excited about, it's, it's difficult to know what Gamboa has left because, you know, when he flattened Rocky Martinez, Martinez was super, super shot. Um, and I think we'll probably have to make Javante the big favorite in the all the traditional advantages that Gamboa normally has over his opponents are advantages that I think Davis is going to have over him, specifically speed and power. Um, nonetheless, I think uh, while it lasts, it should be a cracking fight. Gamboa very, very rarely in boring fights and uh, Davis certainly very rarely. Um, I'm a smidgen nervous about the co-main. Um, Pascal lost just about every minute of the fight against Marcus Brown, except for when he was bouncing him off the canvas. Um, and I seem to recall we both said in the aftermath that the danger of that win was that Pascal was going to keep getting big fights. Um, and, and here we are. Um, yeah, and the thing with Badu Jack is he's not the sort of guy who'd be likely to put you out of your misery swiftly, but is more likely to, you know, uh, thump you and beat up on you for, for a number of rounds. But having said that, Pascal, before he beat Brown, looked better than most expected he would against Bivol. Um, and he hasn't really looked terrible since his second fight with Kovalev. So maybe reports of his demise have been a bit exaggerated. Um, uh, so if he does still have something left, he could make for a very interesting fight indeed with Badu Jack. Uh, but uh, yeah, a, a, a really good card to, uh, to round off the, uh, the year. Uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen's opening up the old uh, purse strings there. Yes, he is. Hey, well, I, I don't know how these quite how these budgets work and what rolls over. But if you got something left over, <coughs> we'll spend it, right? <coughs> oh, right. Yes, right. Forget it. Cancel this card. Just give it to us. Right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, two additional fights announced this weekend. Uh, these will both be on the Deontay Wilder Luis Ortiz 2 pay per view undercard. Uh, a clash of bantamweight belt holders, Luis Neri against Emmanuel Rodriguez, and uh, junior featherweight, Brandon Figueroa against Julio Ceja. Uh, good additions to that show, do you think? Yeah, I'd say so, uh, especially Neri versus Rodriguez. Uh, let's let's see if Neri can do anything like what Monster Inoue did to Rodriguez. Uh, and Ceja. He's not what he used to be, uh, even though he's only 26. Uh, I was shocked to see that number uh, next to his name when I looked him up. Uh, but he does seem to be on the downside. Uh, but nevertheless, he's a solid test for Figueroa, the one fighting Figueroa who I haven't soured That's on right. yet. That's right, exactly. And one of my team, I believe. I think I also picked him. Oh, did you? I think so. I didn't recall him uh, making your list, but uh, if you say so, you would probably remember better than I would. So, well, you'd think, but who knows? <laughs> right? I am. I'm completely high on. You are. You are on a lot of drugs, right? I yes. am. I am. <laughs> okay. All legal. I hasten to point out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Um, a final news item here. Bantamweight Ryan Burnett announced his retirement at just 27 years of age, citing a series of injuries, uh, convincing him to end his career Andrew Luck style. Before anyone was really expecting it, uh, you'll recall he suffered a torn oblique muscle that caused him to take a loss against Nonito Donaire in the World Boxing <laughs> Super Series last November. Uh, and some lingering injuries and new injuries have convinced the young Irish fighter that it's time to step away. Anything to comment on here, Kieran? Yeah, what a shame. I really enjoyed watching Ryan Burnett fight. Um, when he won a belt against Janet Zakianov, I thought ah, he might be a bit special. He might be another one of these guys who's going to put on great fights and Belfast and get great crowds. Um, but I'm glad he's listened to his body. There's just there's no point. You know, if, if your body's just not going to cooperate in a sport like this, then it makes far more sense for him to get out now. And perhaps if he wants to stay around the sport, get involved in training and so forth. I'm sure he's got a lot um, to give if he wants to. And by getting out now, he's in, increased the likelihood of having a healthy future. Uh, definitely a shame. I'm sure that was a very difficult and emotional decision for him to make, uh, like you said, at such a long age, young age. And stepping away without taking any beatings, really, that's got to be tough. But all the best to him. Uh, okay, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Made it. I made it, Eric. Made it to the end. <laughs> well, actually, still, still got a few seconds to go. Um, right. You our... could still say something that makes absolutely no sense uh, before yeah. we're done. I haven't been doing that already. Uh, yeah, our... <laughs> I think uh, I'm not going to say everything that you said was like brilliant and insightful, but everything at least made some sense. It all felt rational. Ah, okay. Wow, I should be sick more often. Uh, our thanks again to Leonard Ellaby for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week to give our post-fight thoughts on Canelo Kovalev, on the Showbox quadruple header, and more. Uh, plus, we'll look ahead to a couple of fights that we might be dreading a little bit, but for very different reasons. Naoya uh, Inoue against Nonito And because everything sucks and the world is horrible and we must all be punished for everything that we have done... Logan Paul versus KSI. <laughs> I have nothing more to say. Thanks for listening.